0: This is The Relevant Podcast. It's Tuesday, March 9th, 2021, and it's The Relevant Podcast here in Orlando. I'm your host, Cameron Strang. And joining me from Loverland, Virginia, it's Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. From Austin, Texas, author... Podcaster, speaker, Jamie Ivey. Hey, guys. And from Nashville, Tennessee, artist, producer, mogul, Derek Miner. <laughs> okay, it is getting near. It's March 9th. Yeah. It's March 9th. It's getting near mid-March, which, you know, the down here in Florida, the sun is shining and spring breakers are starting to show up. I just this is the time of year when you know everybody goes outside right. again, and I'm excited right. about it. Yes,
1: I, I actually I had a little adventure this weekend, guys. You know, oh,
0: yeah. a little spring, spring, yeah, a little early spring, spring, fling. spring
1: break, a little spring fling. Um, so a guy of uh, my buddy who lives down the street, um, he him and him and his wife operate like an Airbnb beach house. I live you know pretty close to the beach, and uh, there's no one booked this weekend. And he invited me and three other, uh, or two other dudes who live right here in the neighborhood. So, like, hey, why don't we have a, go down there, have a guy's weekend, play some cards, just hang out, do, you know, do nothing, you know? And I was like, heck yeah, man. I've been in in kind of various states of quarantine coming on a year now. This sounds fantastic. You know, we, we took all the precautions beforehand. Anyway, we show up and... I don't know about you guys. I don't know full. Uh, Jamie, I know you've been able to do some traveling. Uh, Derek and Cameron, I know you know you guys have done things here and there, but it felt like a taste of freedom and indulgence. It's like, look, man, it's <laughs> been eleven months. It's been eleven months playing it cool. We're just gonna let it rip. Well, one of the guys there. Uh, he, he, you know, when he was living kind of normal day to day life was just eating and consuming things like a normal person would. But evidently his wife is very, very health conscious. And he told an anecdote, he said, he's like, guys, you don't understand the levels of health in my house. He's like, my wife the other day brought home unfrosted, uh, Pop-Tarts. Which one? I didn't even know you could buy unfrosted <laughs> Pop-Tarts. Like, okay, listen, if you're buying Pop-Tarts awful. at all,
0: you're not that health Might conscious. Might as well go the No, 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 no. Here's
1: what, no, but here's what he said. These were a treat for the kids, and the kids were running around the house cheering and high-fiving that they oh. received unfrosted Pop-Tarts. Oh. He was saying it as an example of, this is the level of this desperation. <laughs> like, yeah, quarantine got has gotten to the point where my family has had so little sugar that unfrosted Pop-Tarts, you're acting like Giardelli's is setting up a, <laughs> a, a, a chocolate fountain in the home, you know? Yeah. So So, we bought a bunch of snacks and beverages as four dudes kicking around a beach house would do and yeah. he decided night one to tear into a, 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 a bag of double-stuffed Oreos, you know? Like, I'm a guy's <laughs> weekend, I'm gonna make them. Yeah. Okay, in the next 24 to 30 hours, by our count, he consumed North of seventy-five double-stuffed Oreos. Okay, I mean it was several bags worth. All right.
0: Okay. I was like, "Is that a lot?" I don't know how many is in a, it, in it, a sleeve. I,
1: I, yeah, I, I, I think I, I want to say it was about fifteen to a sleeve. So quite a few. We're, t- we're talking in the five sleeve area. But I mean, when you think about it, guys, that is just a giant ball of Oreo in your it's, stomach. Okay, uh, that is a lot, a lot of Oreo to just be sitting in. He said he woke up in the night and cold sweat, (laughs) like legitimately having health concerns. Like, (laughs) he said it was just like the coldest sweats he's ever had. He felt like his body was asking him, why did you do this to me? Like, what limit are you pushing by injecting me with 75 Oreos pretty much in one long sitting? You know? Uh. He said, he he ended up taking a hot shower thinking that would like recharge (laughs) the system. He said he ended up propping himself up with pillows almost vertically in the night to try to alleviate stomach pain okay oh my goodness so this is what i'm this is the word of the this is the lesson from all this yeah. any of you guys who are merging you know if you're getting your vaccines or you know you're, you're you're feeling more comfortable doing things that you were once a part of our lives take it slow take it take slow, it slow. <laughs> like if you're not used to being out in the wild again you know ease into ease back into the jungle okay because Sooner or later, you could be like this guy and find yourself on the wrong end of seventy-five Oreos, having serious, <laughs> serious gastrointestinal issues. So just,
2: you're saying you saying that that uh that idea to go to that Brazilian steakhouse where they just keep bringing meat is meat? that
1: idea? <laughs> is let me tell you this, Derek. Yeah, the meat. Let me tell you this. Hey, go. But just be cautious how close you're flying to that sun, okay? Because <laughs> uh, because the other big casualty here's yeah. a, this is real talk. The other big casualty of of COVID it has been buffets. Like you know, buffets are oh, just off. Have yeah. been off the table even They're for pretty p- progressive yeah. states. Be, it I don't care what kind of sneeze guard you got. Okay, we're talking open air food here for right. for an for an aerially spread you know, virus when, when this is the problem, when buffets come back, there's going to be some people that are in the same boat. This, my dude was in where they, or, or a Brazilian steakhouse. They haven't had this in so long where you can just fill up plate after plate. People are going to be hurting. Just take it. cautious be cautious people. That's all I'm saying. We're on the other side of this thing. We're coming up on the other side of this thing. Be cautious from here. You want
2: to know one of the worst feelings in the world? One of the worst feelings in the world is meat sweats. Yeah. Have you ever ate so much meat that you just start sweating? (laughs) Like, what is happening to me? Have you? Because I've
0: seen it and I've been with people who have, but I've never personally experienced it. I've had it, bro. That's the reason I brought
2: that up because I went to a Brazilian steakhouse. This was back when I was like young, just now starting to get some money. I'm like, all right, we're going to go to, I forgot which one it was, rodizio or one of those joints. Man, we and we they come to your table and cut and cut and the then, meat right there. Yeah, you put the green or the yep. red, and they just. So That's the thing. I, I missed the part where you can flip it to red to tell them to stop. <laughs> oh,
3: it's so green they were all just day. like
2: just <laughs> giving me stuff. And then th- then growing up, black and poor, like Mama's like, you're cleaning the plate. So like, I was trained to clean my plate. Especially so like, I'm getting... It's, yeah. I'm like it's lamb chops, it's all this stuff. So like I'm like getting it, and I'm just like eating it. And and look, the girl, the, she felt so bad for me. I I never forget it. It was just, it was just this nice lady. She looks at me. She says, "Hey, if you want to, you can turn it over to red."
1: <laughs> <And I> just, <laughs> oh my
2: god! She felt because she saw it. It's like I think I had lamb chops behind my eyes. Like Derek, uh, you
0: was, don't. You're like goldfish. They say like you know they'll keep eating until they like pop that's why you gotta be careful how much food you put in the bowl you don't have to eat it just because it's on your plate you
2: could I was was like right out of college though like you know what I mean so Uh, it was like like for me it was like oh man this is great I haven't had this oh y'all got bacon wrapped that oh yeah I'm in there like you know what I mean so I'm like going crazy like it's you know it, it was that I mean like now nah first off like once you hit 30 like eating changes Like the same stuff. Like if I have a steak, like I used to be able to eat burgers and steaks all the time. Like if I eat red meat, I'm done for the day.
0: I don't know, man. Like Jesse, it's like he's ten still. So I I don't. I,
1: I will say this though. In college, though, you do have the impulse of like of like a of marathoner. Like in the weeks yes. leading up to you're like, I got to eat as many carbs as I can because <laughs> I don't, you know, I got this race. I don't know where I'm going to be getting them again. When you're in college and you're just eating cafeteria food and someone takes you out for a nice meal, you eat beyond the point of, <laughs> or if there's more, if, there, if someone yeah. orders pizza, there is no who's who throwing out the last slice. Right. There no. is no last. Because no. if you're in college, you're like, I don't know when the next time a meal like this is coming. No. <laughs> I'm, yeah. like, I'm just going to, I'm going to store it away. I'm going to store it away like a bear in hibernation because it could be a while before one of my friend's parents invites me over for a meal again, you know? Thanks. All right. Well, we have a great show in
0: store for you today. You can overindulge on this episode. You don't need to pace yourself. This this episode, you can just take it all in. Uh, Coming up later, we talk to pastor, theologian, apologist, Tim Keller, joins us Uh, today. He has a new book coming out called hope in times of fear. It's, it's about the resurrection and uh, we talk about that. And also, you know, we talk very honestly about, you know, the reality that he's, he's facing death right now. He's had a very scary cancer prognosis and he's very open about that. And he talks to us about that as well. So we talk about facing death and resurrection with mm-hmm. Tim Keller, one of our favorite uh, theologians and pastors coming up later on the show. We also have your feedback at the end and stay tuned up next right now. It's slices.
3: Mm-hmm. every day
0: you're listening to Foster the People, song is, Your Heart is My Home. Oh, it's from Jesus to us. Well, today's show is brought to you by Bombas. Bombas makes the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. It's true. They've literally rethought every little detail of the socks we wear to make them way more comfortable. I wear them every day. No lie, I have them on right now. They are absolutely my favorite socks. Just, they don't, I mean, they don't get misshapen. They feel comfortable. They're incredible. I love my Bombas. And... They do more than just keep our feet cozy. They help give back to the most vulnerable members of our community because for every pair of socks you purchase, Bombas will donate a pair to someone in need. The generosity of Bombas customers has allowed them to to donate to date over 40 million pairs of socks and counting through their nationwide network of 3,000 giving partners. To those experiencing homelessness, these socks represent the dignity of putting on clean clothes, a small comfort that's especially important right now. So give a pair when you buy a pair and get 20% off your first purchase at Bombas.com slash relevant. That's B-O-M-B-A-S.com slash relevant for 20% off your first purchase. Bombas.com slash relevant. Do it now. Okay. It's time for Slices.
1: What do you have, Jesse? Well, did any of you guys see something that was kind of going viral this week? It was from TikTok. It originated on TikTok. It was a collection of three different videos that purported to show Tom Cruise doing uh, a couple of various activities. One, he's playing golf. Uh, one, he's doing like sort of a close up uh, sleight of hand magic trick. One, he's just kind of addressing the camera, being a goofball. All of them. He addresses the camera directly. Did you guys see those videos that were no. going around? No, Mm mm. So um, the, the the reason they were notable is because Tom Cruise is not on TikTok, um, and Tom Cruise uh, hasn't released any videos of himself golfing or doing close-up magic or goofing around in front of a cell phone are they camera. Deep fakes. They are very, very, very realistic deep deep fakes. So much so oh, that they have passed the. Um, you know m- uh, most detection softwares were unable to detect that they were actually fake um, what? they were Wait, orig- you
3: ex- I don't know what that word is you said Cameron so,
1: so a deep fake is a technology that allows um, basically software to automatically switch out it's 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 not dissimilar from what you do on like a snapchat face you put someone or, else's or, face on someone yeah. else's body. Yeah, but this, is, this you know, uses kind of face recogn- facial mm-hmm. recognition and, and kind of feature tracking to sync a face onto a live video. So, wow. So these ones, so basically you can make people uh, appear that they're in videos saying things that they're not actually in. Now- They were at TikTok. uh, It was at Deep Tom Cruise. It's since been deleted since they got all the attention. They were uh, they had surpassed you know 10 million views pretty quickly and started drumming up a lot of media attention. But along with all that media attention was a lot of concern
4: Mm -hmm. of okay,
1: if these videos and when you're watching it's unsettling because it's hard for a casual viewer, much less an expert. To make the determination that you're not actually watching Tom Cruise. He's someone that we're all are familiar with and his mannerisms because he's been in movies, has been a part of our lives for so many years. Um but
2: Oh my God. I'm but looking at here, it.
1: Now. Here is the other aspect of that story that I think is is noteworthy. Um this is not so much a a, a warning about current the current ability of deepfake technology but it looks like it might be a warning of what is on the near distant, but distant horizon. Uh, Vice did a little deep diving to find out who was behind it, and actually found out it was a uh, it was a special effects artist who works for a well known studio called Deep Voodoo video Sorry, Deep Voodoo Studio, who've actually done a lot of work professionally wow. uh, for TV programs. Uh, so these are our professionals, and not only that. Uh, For these videos, they actually they actually hired a very well-known Tom Cruise impersonator to portray Tom Cruise to make sure that they had the mannerisms right. And also so that the deep fakes could could be applied more seamlessly. Um, And so what that kind of tells is, look, the technology might not be at the place where the average Joe or Jane could buy off-the-shelf software and produce these and trick the masses. But with the right technical know-how and the right use of professionals, uh, it is possible. And Mm -hmm. it's only really a matter of time before, just like any technology, what is seen as the professional standard will be available at the consumer level. So it, it is something that I think... There are, you know, obviously security concerns, a lot of ethical concerns. I mean, the obvious example is what if you had some foreign dictator, you know, what if there's a deep fake video of them saying I'm nuking this country and it causes an international Mm -hmm. issue. But also, I mean, think about it. We're in the church world. We saw what happened with, you know, like a Rob Bell back in the day yeah. where, but, you know, we just talked last week on the show about uh, the, the kind of quick trigger cancel culture of all it takes is one ministry leader yep. saying something outrageous while they're, you know, maybe out of the country or something and unable to, to issue some sort of clarification it really ruin people's reputations as well. So well, it's,
0: even think about the legal implications, because like right now, like video footage of somebody committing a crime is evidence to convince Evict, yeah. you know, played during the trial. Yeah. And now if like we can't believe wow. actually that video is true, that's going to actually really change, you know, I don't know, yeah. like concrete evidence yeah. type stuff. Like so-and-so absolutely did or didn't do this thing. You don't know anymore. <laughs> yeah. You just don't know. Yeah. Sounds like That's a Black crazy.
3: Mirror episode or something. Like you just yeah. like what's yeah. happening. Uh, well, well,
1: but it's s- real. Well, speaking of that, there is actually a a, uh, a group that is called My Heritage, and they're an ancestry site. Yeah. And they are talking about they actually announced it a new service where you yeah. can animate uh, faces of people who are in still photos. Yep. Um, to kind of see, they
2: freaking did it to Frederick Douglass. Yeah, I seen yeah. that. Yeah, and so Bring you know,
1: yeah. So if you had like, let's say, Jamie, you uncovered like wow. a box of old photos of like uh-huh. your great grandparents or something. This site, you could, you know, conceivably pay them to animate or apply essentially the same kind of basic technology as deepfake videos to make those photos come to life to see what that, you know, uh, uh, deceased relative would have looked, would have actually moved and talked like. So, I mean, speaking of Black Mirror, I mean, that is almost the plot of a Black Mirror, Uh, you know. The one with their husband,
2: yeah. 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 But you've seen, um, I don't know if you, uh, there's a database. I just looked this up because I remember looking at the article not long ago. Facebook just released a database of a hundred thousand deep fakes like so like a lot of the a lot of the well not this, and, and I guess it's not deep fakes, but Facebook has had so many people's like facial features and all of that that now uh places like russia or, or maybe even us have went through all of Facebook and they're making new faces out of all of the faces that are on there. So it's like creating new pictures of people based off of the features of uh, the people that are already there. So we're, we're stepping into a new world (laughs) yeah, (laughs) where you don't even know if a person is a person. I mean, that's honestly why I don't really take a lot of social media stuff seriously. I'm like, I literally don't even know if you are who you are like mm-hmm. remember right. when the show catfish came out yeah right. that was yeah. like uh, that was a big deal like there were people that were playing yeah. like now like you could legit like create a brand new face and, and then be someone else online it's like so i'm like i'm not taking anything crazy like, i don't even know if you are who you are man yeah i don't
0: Sheesh. Like all right what do you have jamie
3: all right, I got this. We all know that um, what happened on January sixth was, you know, monumental in our country, and I think it also is a a, a moment in time where a lot of uh, Christians said, you know, what? I think there might be something to this Christian nationalism that people are talking about, and so just recently. Uh, more than 100 evangelical leaders have signed a statement uh, condemning Christian nationalism. Uh, a part of the letter that they that they put out, it says, We recognize that evangelicalism, and white evangelicalism in particular, has been susceptible to the heresy of Christian nationalism because of a long history of faith leaders accommodating white supremacy. We choose to speak out now because we do not want to be quiet accomplices in this ongoing sin. And the letter is really long. You can see it on uh, the Relevant Magazine web uh, webpage. it's really long but it, it it really you know it notes that this mob was incited by by former president donald trump and that there was all this paraphernalia which i just had someone on my show that i host and they did a breakdown of what is christian nationalism and one of the things that he brought to the table was that it uses the 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 iconography of the cross but has content for the way of the cross and what he meant by that is like you know the cross of Jesus as our faith is meant to like lay down your life and, and, and meekness and servanthood. But this Christian nationalism is like the cross is strong and we will fight and we will defend and, and we are warriors. And so kind of mixing all of that together is this Christian nationalism. And so there is kind of this, I wouldn't call it a petition, but this letter where you can sign this and say, I'm actually condemning Christian nationalism um, and what it how it affected January 6th and how it's going to continue to affect um our country and our faith in Jesus if people continue to keep going um this way of blending the two uh faith and politics together. So and we talked about this a little bit last week with uh mm-hmm. you know JD Greer and the SBC. And so it was it was it's out there. You can see it on the webpage as well.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to just to see this, like we said last week, like this pendulum swing back that's mm-hmm. like maybe uh, mm-hmm. in hindsight. Uh, we need to reevaluate the role of our faith as it applies to the public square and to yep. politics and things like that mm-hmm. so I'm, it's always it's good that we're having this conversation yep. yeah. kind of as a postmortem maybe you know and figure out a new way forward it's good all right what do you have derek
2: yeah so uh everybody knows i'm a superhero buff and of all of the movies. Well, I know
0: you're, I know you're buff
2: <laughs> and I know you like superheroes, so... I'll you say, know. you know, no, no pain, no gain,
1: baby. Yeah, you guys you know, eat, you guys I'll know I'll me. I'm a buff superhero fan.
4: <laughs> I like to throw one but, adjective
1: before I describe it. But, yeah, but I'm a
2: huge fan of superheroes and I love Marvel, but my three beloved characters that are near and dear to my heart, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Those are like the those are the So you're a DC the, person. I no, I love those three and Flash. I would throw Flash in there. But those three are kinda like my it's like Marvel plus those three and and then Flash. You know what I'm saying? But gotcha. I feel like Flash is kind of like a fast Spider Man. So but anyway. Um, so you're
0: not a big Aquaman nah, nah,
2: nah. underwater <laughs> guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah totally now nah, I'm, totally I'm, 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 I'm yeah. cool. I'm cool on that. But uh everybody has been a DC fan, knows that DC movies have been pretty awful, except for the Batman series with Christopher Nolan mm-hmm. and some of the throwback stuff. And Superman hasn't got off the ground good since Christopher Reeves. Uh so Tanahasi Coates, the uh writer who wrote Between the World and Me. Uh, he also writes the Black Panther comics and the Captain America comics for Marvel is actually going to be directing a new Batman, a, a Superman film. So wow. uh, I think that's going to be pretty interesting because he's a really, really good writer. Like, as far as his comic book writing, is amazing. I have, I, I got the first Black Panther uh, joint that he wrote, and it's, it's really, really good. Um, here's the the kicker, though. People think he may make Superman black. Really? <laughs> yeah. So I'm like... I don't know how that's... If, listen, man, we just talked about uh-huh. Mr. Potato Head <laughs>
4: and Dr. Seuss. I
2: don't even want to know what the world's going to look like if you take the most iconic white guy because he, I mean, Superman is he is Make America Great Again character. Like, I mean, you know, I am I wouldn't think he would be, you know, problematic mm. but I mean, he is from Kansas, rural Kansas you know, back in the day. So, you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah from like the 10, I think it 1910, 1920, so, but the thing about making him black, I don't even know how that narrative, that would be hard to, for that narrative to work. they would have to change would some they, pretty yeah, interesting stuff to the story. Would they change the backstory or would, who knows, right? I guess. But I don't like, know. Um, interesting. But he hasn't said he's going to do that. There's just it's speculation. speculation. Yeah, yeah. That, that he's going to do that. But I mean, that's the obvious assumption. Black guy is going to be writing about Superman. I bet he's going to make him black. You know what I mean? But he right. hasn't actually said that, but you know, I don't and, know. And I, I, I think it's gonna be interesting though. Yeah,
1: I, I haven't read I'm his here for it. I haven't read his comic book work, but I do know, you know, he, he, what, no matter what creative decisions he'll make with the Superman character in particular, he'll find a way to I feel like kind of even if it's even if he makes some provocative cre- creative decisions we'll find a way to challenge the reader with his own you know justifications for those decisions within his writing i feel like he mm-hmm. is a master at that of doing of of kind of You know, making an entry point to an idea, something that would seem somewhat, you know, maybe polarizing, but actually unpacking Mm -hmm. it in a way that's extremely Mm -hmm. rational. That by the time you get to the end of the work, you're like, I actually see what, you know, I actually agree. Even if I came in kind of feeling like, oh, I'm on the other side of this. I'm kind of reading this for, you know, because I, I, I want to disagree with the author. He's brilliant. Like he will, yeah. whatever he executes will be done in a way that will be constructive and thought provoking in the right way. I, for anyone who hasn't read a lot of his work, I would suggest he wrote a couple of years ago. It's probably, it, and it's not, I say it's a magazine piece, but it's probably close to 10,000 words. We wrote a piece for the Atlantic years ago called the case for reparations that, um, is an incredible piece of not just like American history and journalism and personal writing, but also of logic and reason that, you know, kind of shows how brilliant he is. And I think it's awesome that he's doing Superman because For so long, Superman, in addition to being kind of just a a character that has sort of just institutionally been someone at the forefront of, you know, kind of American pop culture, he's also been a stand-in for American values and conflicted American values. You know, what? what is his three – what were the three virtues, you know? Truth, justice, Mm -hmm. and the American way. Truth Mm -hmm. and justice Mm -hmm. and the American way have all had – Issues that, that have become that have come under scrutiny in the last five years. You know, truth mm-hmm. in the age of sort of fake news and conspiracy theories, justice with all the systemic issues and people trying to figure out what the American way even looks like anymore. It's the perfect mm-hmm. character for someone like a writer like ta Coates to, to, you know, reimagine in a contemporary light. I think it's awesome.
2: Yeah, I think that's why he hasn't why Superman hasn't translated to the big screen well is because of those exact issues. Mm. It's it's like when you look at the Marvel characters and Batman, like the thing about Batman is Batman has embraced the darkness. Like when you look at that, it's like there's real tension there. But mm. Superman never made really bad decisions. He didn't have a lot of tension. And I just think we don't really relate with that idea mm. anymore. Mm. Uh, the thing I love about Tanasi is I feel like he, I feel like because he's a comic book, he loves comic books. That he won't make any decision that will destroy the legacy of Superman. Like, I think that, you know, that's the issue where you see when you take a comic book character or a book character for that matter. If you're not a fan of the book, when you try to make it into film, it really leads to some really wonky things that can happen. So, Mm. you know, that's why I think the Walking Dead series was really well because Kirkman was there through most of the process yeah. or Game of Thrones went really well because uh, the writer there they would always consult him on how these characters should come to life so I think Tana Isi will do a great job yeah. uh, hopefully it gets greenlit and they and they see the it sees the light of day
0: all right well there you go that'll do it for Slices stay tuned up next Tim Keller joins us breaking down my birthday 60, 65. You're listening to My Key. The song is Mazda 5. It's featuring Marinelli. Well, today's episode is brought to you by podcast creation platform, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor yet, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. There are custom tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and every major platform. The cool thing is you can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Well, Tim Keller is a theologian, mentor, teacher, and bestselling author. In late 2019, he started writing a book about the resurrection titled Hope in Times of Fear, which releases today. Good timing. Now, this was just a few months before the global pandemic issued in a new era of fear to the public sphere and before he got the grim diagnosis that lent an intimate urgency to the biblical idea of a coming resurrection. We sat down with Tim to talk about that, about his new book, about death, resurrection, and so much more. Here's part of our conversation with Tim Keller.
5: started the book on the resurrection before all this, yeah. you're continuing to work on it in the midst of some of this. How does the tenor of what you're writing change as these experiences, your diagnosis, COVID? Uh, I know you addressed some of the racial protests that happened as well in the midst of all this too. How does that change what you think the book is going to be, or does it?
4: Well, it didn't change the theology, fortunately. Sure. In fact, that's the way you get your ability to face death you just draw on what you already believed about about resurrection new heavens new earth but uh, the great thing about it was that it gave for first of all i was able just to say in the book so it's in the printed book as it's coming out now that um i've got cancer and that, that i found out about it while i was writing the book so that Creates a little more interest, I guess, maybe on the part of readers. And then, of course, during the in, then I was able to draw on some experiences. Uh, so in some cases, the the revisions I made or the things I wrote uh, don't directly invoke my having cancer myself, but I do think that there's an awful lot of insights and a lot of uh, even examples I use that come because I was I was facing the cancer so there's 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 indirect and direct ways in which it really transformed the book there are some direct places where i talk about it which probably is kind of helpful for the reader and makes say, wow you know he's writing this book when he's got cancer so it's poignant but most of the chain most of it was i i think i was just more alert to its the power of this doctrine i was more alert to the to the cons the console the, the it's power to console its power to uh lift up its power to uh comfort and it's it's also its power to give joy i was just much more um alert to it than i probably would have been so it's a little less of an abstract book than I would have been otherwise
5: it seems like there is a and this is not exclusive to the resurrection but probably the most uh Uh, frequent victim of this for people we will say like myself who were raised in the church, grew up, has, has has never not known that Jesus died and was raised from the dead three days later. Um, That can become, you can get sort of, uh, or I can get sort of numb to that power. We all can. It's like one of the most well-known Christian tenets probably out there. So what, when you start writing a book like this, how do you, uh, re-enchant that idea or is that even the, is it possible
4: well it, well, I was, what I'm able to do is to say I, I can use myself as a case study and say the reality is that we are in denial about our mortality uh, there's a place in John Calvin's institutes uh, where he says when we see a dead body or we go to a funeral we philosophize about the shortness of life but at a deeper level, we are in utter denial of it. So it's it, there's there's almost no there's no fact in which there's a greater disconnect between what you admit and say in your mind and what your heart actually believes and how you actually mm-hmm. function. He says, because basically we all function as if we're gonna live forever. We really we are in deep, deep denial about it. You know, when you do get the kind of diagnosis that you may die within months or weeks. Uh, that I did you suddenly realize you know what I didn't really believe I was gonna die mm-hmm. I really didn't mm-hmm. and then I can say I think this is probably true of you or at least plenty of you uh, and and I want you to know that this doctrine actually works it's got a power but you have no you're not drawing on it at all okay mm-hmm. so that see that's what I say mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. book that's what I'm saying to you and um, I think what that does is it doesn't necessarily immediately get you out of your own denial of mortality, but it actually does uh, give you greater respect for the power of this, do- of this dr- doctrine. And you, you're going ch- to, I think, cherish it more, study it more, value it more, but you still can't draw on it until you actually need it. And my wife, Kat- when I say that, Kathy actually, my wife Kathy often says, God doesn't give you the strength to face a trial ahead of time. So whenever somebody says to her or to me now, because I learned this from her and pastoring somebody, if somebody says, I just don't believe I have the strength to uh, uh, face that if that happens. And my our answer is always, of course you don't, because why would God waste that? <laughs> why would he give you strength ahead of time? It comes from him. It's not something that sits around a bank or something. So uh, it's almost impossible, I think, to have enough strength to face something ahead of time. But there are ways of, I think, preparing for it, and um, therefore I do think that, that and this book is in some ways preparing people for a lot of the inevitable things that are gonna happen, including their death, because death's gonna happen no matter what. So the two things I try to deal with in the book, using the doctrine of the resurrection, are the, the loss of any hope for the future, really, or at least a declining hope, and the reality of, of your own death. And you put together, you, you really can't live life without this doctrine.
5: Mm-hmm. So, it's fairly straightforward to think about how the doctrine of resurrection impacts the, your notion of your own mortality. What impact does it have on the broader, the, the culture of fear and sort of hopelessness that you're discussing there? What, what's the impact?
4: You have um, at least four views of history I can think of out there. And the only one that I think is realistic and hopeful is the Christian one. So the Greeks and the Romans believed in, uh, you know, that that not in that history was going anywhere. Every so often there'd be a kind of breakdown and a conflagration, and there would be a restart. Uh, it wasn't just the Greeks and the Romans. You know, I don't know if you know the uh, the the old Northern European mythologies about all the gods. They believed in something called Ragnarok, which of course marvel avengers has taken over but it was the place where twilight of the gods which was a place where there's gonna be a big battle in which many of the gods or most of the gods and the heroes would die and then there would be a kind of reboot of, of of the world the modern idea uh the enlightenment idea that things are going to get better and better through reason and science so that every generation it's actually Hegelian, too, that there'd be, you know, a thesis, and then an antithesis, and then a new synthesis, and then there'd be another fight, and there'd be a new synthesis. The Christian view is after death comes resurrection. See, the Christian view is not going like this. The Christian view is that, that in the long run, there will be a resurrection, new heavens, and new earth, but that the way forward is death and resurrection. Bad things happen. And God brings good out of it. Bad things happen. God brings good out of it. All the way mm-hmm. to the very end. And what that means is you don't have a, a naive enlightenment view that, through, that human beings are getting better and better. Uh, Christianity allows for really dark ages, and really, for very bad times. It's, it's, it believes much more in, you might say, a V-shaped hopeful future rather than a straight line that it can go down and then up and then down up. Mm-hmm. And eventually, no matter what you are, no matter where you are, if you work for justice, you're gonna see justice triumph. If you work for love, you're gonna see love triumph. If you want the whole world to believe in Jesus Christ, you're gonna see that too. But you see the difference? It's not naive and it's not cynical. And it's not, um, I don't know, the, the cyclical view actually was, was also, rel- it was stoic. See, the cyclical view said, Life is what it's going to be, and you just you you just put up with it. You don't try to change it. So the Stoic view, where you just accepted things, the 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 mm-hmm. utopian view that it's going to get better and better, we're going to bring in the you know the millennium, uh, the super cynical view said so just go out and have a good time, because really there's nothing you can do about it. As opposed to Christianity, that's what I'm trying to get across. Only the Christian view, I think, is realistic and hopeful at the same time. Okay.
5: There's this growing, uh, maybe not growing, but I uh, I certainly see more vocal representations of it uh, now among my peers, among millennials, that uh, pushes back against this idea of, because it makes God abusive or cruel, that he would put us through dark times and then tell us to just buckle up and something good will come out of it, I promise. How do you respond to to that sort of pushback?
4: Well, the answer is God himself got involved in it. Hmm. In other words, since since God himself in Jesus Christ actually himself got involved in that dynamic, and that dynamic is um, the way up is to go down, the way to rule is to serve, the way to become truly rich is to give all your wealth away, the way to really become happy is to not seek your own happiness but the happiness of others. So the way up is down. If if God just said, no, that's for you, but not for me, then that would be hypocrite, you know, hypocritical. But mm-hmm. since Jesus Christ experienced it, and you might say in degrees, way beyond anything we're called to go through, then what's the problem? I mean, whenever somebody says it's really wrong of God to call me to do something like that, that's a person who just has almost no empathy for Jesus. I mean, one, mm-hmm. one of the... Well, I, I actually believe... One of the goals of my prayer life is to really uh, weep with Jesus when he's weeping and rejoice when he's rejoicing. Meaning I need to say, Lord, I just can't believe you did that for me. So I weep when he's weeping. And then rejoice when he's rejoicing, saying, Lord, after all you went through, I'm so glad you were exalted at the right hand of God. I'm so glad that you now have this place of honor after all you did for me, I don't hear people complaining about suffering. In no way do they seem to be um, thinking and praying into Jesus on that. Hmm. Because then everything that we're going through seems very small. Hmm. So it's a lack of proportion when people do that, I think. Uh, and, and, and and just leaving Jesus out of the equation.
5: So. Per all that, then, I feel like when we tend to, when we talk about hope, um, we tend to mean it in sort of this uh, n- mental jujitsu trick, like, be be happy, don't be sad. Uh, like, maybe things will go well instead of going poorly. How do we, what's the corrective based on the doctrine of the resurrection of what hope should actually look like or the a definition of hope for us?
4: Yeah, well, see, the trouble is, uh, it's just like our word for peace. Peace is a very terrible, a, a really weak English word for conveying the Hebrew word shalom. Now, you probably heard that before. I think it's, we've talked about that so much in the Christian world that people realize that shalom means more than just, though our word peace means absence of hostility. Shalom means full flourishing. So we we kind of know that the word, the, you know, we even use the word shalom, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just because we know the Hebrew, the English word peace doesn't work well. Well, the English word hope doesn't get across Elpis, the, uh, the Greek or the, or the Hebrew words at all. Because our word hope so means wishful thinking. It hope, yeah. our word hope means hope so. Mm-hmm. It actually means uncertainty. It's what it does. I mean, now it's optimistic uncertainty. That's what hope is. Optimistic uncertainty. And, you can just see if you just start to look up ten places in the Bible, any ten places, you'll see the word hope actually means assurance. It really means proper confidence. Hmm. Uh, or another way to put it is proper confidence and assurance in something that's that can't be proved. That is to say, something that you can't prove to everybody, but that you have actually real assurance. And I do think the assurance is. A combination of it makes sense rationally, but also um, it's also a spiritual gift. It's, it's sort of like faith. It's something that God can can trigger in your heart through his Holy Spirit. So hope is both something that is partly there because I've thought about it. So my hope in the resurrection is not I hope in the resurrection. I I hope so. I hope in the resurrection is a confidence that it's really going to happen. I'll just tell you right off the bat is, for example, uh, the first chapter in this book is uh, a kind of summary of arguments for the the, the idea the resurrection really happened, Uh, which means 80% of what I say there is N.T. Wright because N.T. Wright not only wrote the big book on it, 20 years ago, but he's written some other stuff on it, basically making the case to say that the the uh, the resurrection is about as secure a historical fact as most historical facts from ancient times. Or mm-hmm. Actually, he would say it's as secure as any historical fact from ancient times because, obviously, something that happened 2,000 years ago, he's going you know, to turn around and say, you know, it says here that Claudius died here and you know his successor took his place how much evidence is there for that there's a lot more evidence for the resurrection than that as long as you bracket out your philosophical presuppositions mm-hmm. there's way more so he makes his case so I revisited that after I found out I had pancreatic cancer and it was a help. why because it was my thinking did it strengthen my hope yeah because there's a rational aspect to it the other aspect to it though is in prayer the more God is actually real to my heart and not an abstraction. Also, the more I realize he's really there. He's really there. And it's, what is that? That's intuitive. You know, technically, the philosophers will tell you, Tyler, that if you look out your window and say, there's a tree in my front yard, that is a, an act of faith. You, know, you should say, I perceive a tree being in my front yard, but I can't prove it because I might be in the matrix. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my cognitive faculties might not be working and the philosophers say there's no way to prove your cognitive faculties and your memory works without using your cognitive faculties and memory and memory which is what you're trying to prove which is begging the question which means all belief in your cognitive faculties is technically faith so you should say i perceive there's a tree in front of you but you don't do that why because we know but you you have assurance that the trees there
5: yeah even though you can't no. prove it
4: you've got assurance you do know mm-hmm. that you know, you're really not in any doubt you can get to the place where you have assurance in the resurrection even though you can't prove it to all rational people you can't do it and it comes from both the reasoning and the and the ex, it comes both rationally and existentially so that's how it worked In i had to go back when i realized i was i could die soon it looks to me like by the way, now looks like I'm not dying within months. On the other hand, I still got pancreatic cancer, and therefore I need to continually through my using my reason and to existentially through my prayer life keep that hope strong. So that's what it really means: confidence, assurance, not not wishful thinking.
5: What then do we lose if we, uh, as a church, as, as, a, as the body of Christ, say um, the resurrection maybe wasn't bodily? It was like a, it was a spiritual metaphor. It was a he rose in some sort of analogous fashion. What, where, what do we lose?
4: Well, I, um, I actually speak a little bit to that in the book to say. Uh, I also quote the, the famous John Updike. Poem where he says, "Don't tell me it was a myth. Tell me the amino acids rekindled, and his, you mm-hmm. know, he had a real body and all that." That uh, basically is. I can just tell you, as a person facing death, it's not that much of a consolation. Okay, I would like to know. See, here's the reason why. The thing that makes life meaningful to human beings is love. At the end of your life, nobody says gosh, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. At the end of your life, what people say is, I wish I had done a better job of being a friend or being a father or mother or whatever. It's really what makes life meaningful. And when people tell me, when atheists or others say, well, you know, when you die, it's just over. There's nothing to be afraid of. My response is, what you're saying is that death means the end of love. And you're telling me not to, not to, not to dread that? Mm-hmm. Give me a break. Mm-hmm. If I know there's love on the other side of death, I can face it. If I know there's infinitely greater love, then I can really face it. And if the resurrection was just spiritual, it just means he's lived on, and it, uh, then you're giving me no assurance of that. And then, it's so, so um, you know, I try to say that you lose an enormous amount if you do that.
0: With tim keller now check out his new book hope in times of fear wherever you get your books and comes out today and also read more of that conversation in our feature with tim in the brand new issue of relevant it's available for free and ad free right now uh presented by our friends at uhsm go check it out relevant magazine.com click on the magazine tab and more of that conversation with tim keller is right there all right stay tuned up next it's your feedback
5: To every sickness. call out every night. I'm gonna tell
3: these
0: you're listening to you know, a little little jolt there a little spiritual jolt uh, influence music Melody Noel Kim Walker Smith the song is called prophecy and See a victory it's great it's uh, from the live at church Mixtape volume 2. Check it out. Okay, it's time for your feedback. Last week, we got talking about regrettable former hobbies like rollerblading. And... (laughs) We wanted to know your some of your regrettable former hobbies. You, you hit us up on uh, Twitter, at Relevant Podcast, and you also posted on the episode post on Relevant's Instagram account. Here are some of our favorites.
1: I love Ben because this is such a weird hobby, but I like I could see you be like, oh, that'd be kind of cool. Uh, ben said he bought an old antique clock to restore. Like, oh, antique clock restoration. What an interesting hobby. He said, I've owned it and a book about how to do it for eight years. So far, I took the inside clock gears out and finally gave up and threw them away. Good for you, Ben. At least you knew when to call it quits. But I bet I bet disassembling it was at least kind of fun, you know. John John B said uh, we did
0: our own Dead Poet Society midnight readings readings in a tunnel under the school and a failed bid to impress the girls. The night ended with an encounter with campus police.
1: <laughs> of course, it so, did. <laughs> and the campus police is like nerds we thought you were doing something cool like partying down here you're reading poetry get out uh, of here funny
3: yeah. that's funny uh brendan spencer said as a kid he was super into pokemon and some other cards i never heard of uh Yu-Gi-Oh, or I don't even know Yu-Gi-Oh.
2: Yu-Gi-Oh, Yu-Gi-Oh uh, yeah. which
3: none of those were allowed in his house because his parents yeah. probably thought Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh were straight from the devil. Uh, so he said he would stay up late to watch the show so he could copy down his own index cards, and he still has them all in his room.
0: Oh no! <laughs> he literally would copy them all. Hey, have you? I okay. The whole NFT thing or whatever card collecting. Have y'all seen what's going on with card collecting, including it's Pokemon crazy. cards? I don't yeah, know this. Literally, Jamie, the value of them is insane because, like, it's a commodity where there's a limited number of these yeah. things and demand, more people and, and want no it. So, the price goes up, right?
3: My yeah. kids used well, to have well, binders of these and I probably made them throw them away.
0: So, listen, like, the rare cards and things like that literally, things that were going for $20. Ten years ago, are going for a thousand dollars now. It's oh insane. Oh my gosh! I, I, my son showed me a video the other day of uh, YouTube star, uh, Jake Paul, who uh, he was just. They, they do these unboxing videos. Uh, it's very common. Yeah. Like they open a pack of collector cards uh-huh. and things like that. Yeah. He opened a pack of Pokemon cards. The second card in the pack was a rare card worth 000, 000. <gasps> hey, like, that, just, a million dollars. Like it's just of course. A
3: kid got this.
0: No, no, it's no uh, Jay Paul. He's an uh, okay. adult, but he's like a... <laughs> the same thing's happening with NFTs, with like NBA Top Shot, and which is hey. like digital Whoa. card collecting. It's unbelievable this card collecting thing that's going on. Well, let so me, if look. you've got a binder of like old Pokemon cards, go find it. I'm ask my kids. Oh, I got
2: a binder of a bunch of basketball
0: hey, cards. Look, look, I need to look, look. see, let, see let what's, what's, what's going on. Let me taper your
1: expectations because somebody <laughs> went down this road very recently.
3: <laughs> you, I,
1: yeah, a couple weeks. I guess it was about a month. Ago. When, when do you put Christmas? When do you put Christmas decorations back in the attic? What is January? I don't know, it was was recently. And I was in the attic, putting away Christmas decorations. I'm like, oh, dude, all my old baseball cards in a box. You know, (laughs) must have got moved from my parents' house into this attic. And I didn't even notice. So I started going through them and I'm like, dude, they say I bet I'm sitting on tens of thousands of dollars here. Okay. <laughs> so I grab my son and we start, I, I and I look online and which okay, what do I need to be looking for? And I found a bunch that I was sitting on according to my calculations on my phone and the internet with the cards I had to found after about three hours of going through this box. I was sitting on close to fifty thousand dollars of cards, easy. So I look up the closest card shop online. It turns out there's one right down the street, and it is awesome. Anyway, I go in there. I go in there, and I I go talking to the card memorabilia guy, and I'm thinking he's going to be like, "Oh man, this is the greatest day of my life." This guy came in. And I and I was like, hey, listen, man, I, I you're gonna want to sit down for this, okay? I found some,
5: <laughs>
1: I found some very rare items that you're gonna want to see. And he goes, let me guess, he goes, let me guess, what happened? You were putting something away in the attic, found this old box, spent the last couple of hours going through and trying to match <laughs> up prices on the internet. Is that what happened? I was like, this has happened to you before. This is unbelievable. Anyway, he he was quick to tell me. That if the, that there are so many stipulations of like what those, just because you find one of those multi-million dollar cards does not mean it's worth, well, and even like, I trust me. This guy schooled me, and he did it just to humiliate me. But I didn't care. But like, just how even if you kept a card in perfect condition, if the if the printer didn't cut the card in perfect alignment, like the middle image on the card has its own border around it, if that Mm -hmm. alignment isn't perfect to compare to the alignment on both sides and the top and bottom, which is. Something that is cut at the printer, then it then it loses almost all of its value. So it's like finding a it's like finding a needle in a haystack. It's like finding a perfect diamond in a pile wow. of diamonds. Like it is very hard to actually make money, but it is fun. Yeah.
0: yeah. All right, last one. Uh, Rajiv Tawari uh, he said at Virginia Commonwealth University, we didn't necessarily LARP, but we would fight with wooden swords to learn to spar. Uh, like 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 he said it was like a, a teenage mutant ninja turtle Donatello staff type weapons. He said they would store the weapons in a guy's trunk and they would only do it at nighttime and they did it for a year. What's, what's LARP what is LARP? Mean? Live action role playing. It's when people dress up as like medieval characters and they will literally like war like they have competitions like in a big city park or field and like oh, you have a king uh-huh. and whatever and like somebody wins the mm-hmm. battle like you drive by city parks and there's all these nerds running around with swords and stuff they're all larping they're are all they like real play- swords no i mean they're like you okay, know whatever they play they anxious. play characters
1: sticks yeah yeah <laughs> hey sticks. how much you guys want to bet that this guy who's doing the fantasy larping at midnight yeah, is yeah. pretty good buddies with the people holding the poetry readings in the tunnels that night.
5: So <laughs> <laughs> seems they like
1: lived they have, on the same floor like that's, in, that's in college. They're, this, they're dorm mates. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, there's
0: more where that came from. Go check it out. It's good. Okay, it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. Hey. So so we've been on this run of regrettable decisions. if you've noticed there's been a pattern over the last few weeks, I don't know why we're finding joy in y'all <laughs> you telling us your your regrets over your life. Uh we have another one. We talked earlier about Derek's meat sweats and Jesse's friend who ate 75 double stuffed Oreos in one evening. Uh, We want to know your regrettable food story. That's it. We want to know a time when it just did not go well for you. Uh, Hit us up on Twitter, at Rilland Podcast, or you can comment on our Instagram post as well. Well, before we wrap up, I want to thank Tim Keller for joining us today. You can make, make sure to check out his new book, Hope in Times of Fear. Wherever you get your books, it releases today. And like I mentioned Go check out more of that conversation and the feature in the brand new issue of Relevant. Now, if you haven't heard the announcements, you missed last podcast, whatever, uh, the March-April issue of Relevant, issue 105 is out now. It just released last Monday. It features... None other than Johnny Swim on the cover. They have a huge year in front of them. They tell us all about it. We also have Lakeith Stanfield, Hillsong United's Taya, uh, comedian Nate Bargatze, more of that conversation with Tim Keller, uh, Rachel Hollander. We look at um, gender equity and church leadership. We look at uh, the fight for climate change. There is so much in this issue. And guess what? It's available now and it's completely free and ad free. Thanks to our sponsor, UHSM. Go check it out. ReloMagazine.com slash magazine. On that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Jesse Carey.
3: I'm Jamie Ivy.
0: I'm Derek Miner. We will see you next week. Guys, on the next show, we have a big announcement about the podcast. Very exciting. Have a good week, everyone.
1: You guys know me. I'm a buff superhero fan.
2: Relevant Podcast Network.